0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 24 today. Um, It's on page 949 in the Red Bible. Before we dive in, I want to focus, uh, kind of highlight a word that's in this passage. You can see it up here. That's Greek, Uh, not the word every, but the next word, if you didn't know. Uh, It's the word ethnos. And the word ethnos is translated uh, in this chapter as the word Gentile. It occurs over 10 times here in Romans chapter 15. Now, what is so interesting about this word ethnos is that it's not always translated Gentile. Uh, The literal translation of it is a tribe, a nation, or a people group. In this passage, Paul is going to quote uh, several different Old Testament passages. And as he's quoting those Old Testament passages, you're going to see the English word Gentile. But in the Old Testament passages, if you look back there, it does not use the word Gentile at all. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament doesn't use the the word Gentile uh, in any of its writings. But if you look back at those Old Testament passages that Paul quotes, these words are translated as nations or all peoples. And this is important for us to remember because this word ethnos that Paul translates Gentiles is synonymous with the theme of nations or ethnicities or people groups of the world. A matter of fact, this word ethnos is where we get the word ethnicity from. Now, in the context of Romans chapter 15, Paul is writing to Jews and Gentiles uh, at the church in Rome, and in talking to Jews, he's talking about the ethnos, the Gentiles, basically everybody who is non-Jewish. And so the question is, how do we apply this to us today? Uh, Most of us here are not Jewish, and so what would we apply this to our lives? Uh, How does this apply to us as non-Jews? Well, I think we can legitimately say this word that Paul translates ethnos into Gentile can really be translated into ethnicity, nationality, uh, all the peoples of the world. And so as we read this word Gentile, this word ethnos, we can think of it applying to everyone who is of a different ethnicity than ourselves. And so that's what we're going to look at today and seek to apply to our life through God's grace. So let's read together Romans 15 Verse 7 through 24, Paul starts, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who, raises, who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's pray. Lord, as we come today, help us to see your heart for the nations. Help us to see your heart for the ethnos of the world and of Green Bay, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we go, give us your heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you probably know that this year marks the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man who was devoted to Jesus, devoted to the church, and devoted to the nations. I want to read you just a couple lesser known quotations from him and one that you probably are more familiar with. The first quote from him goes like this. We need to recapture the gospel glow of the early Christians who were nonconformists in the truest sense of the word. Their powerful gospel put an end to such barbaric evils as infanticide and bloody gladiator contests opening our lives to God in Christ. We became new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. The second, a shorter, shorter quote, Martin Luther King Jr. said, The end of life... Is not to be happy, nor to achieve pleasure and avoid pain, but to do the will of God, come what may. The final and maybe more familiar quote from Martin Luther King Jr. is this: "It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is is eleven o'clock on Sunday morning." Friends, preaching on this passage, sorry for my vulgarity, but it's kind of like a giant pimple on your face. Uh, You know it's there. Everybody else knows it's there. You wish it wasn't there. And to be honest, it's kind of awkward to talk about. Uh, That's kind of what we're dealing with today in this passage. As we study this passage that focuses on ethnic diversity in the church, we have to admit the awkward, obvious thing that we are not all that diverse of a church. I praise God for the diversity that we have among the nations here, people from South Africa, from Pakistan, from many different cultures, and yet we have much room to grow. Our congregation is not all that ethnically diverse, and while hopefully all of us wish that it was that way, currently it is not, and I pray that God would help us grow in that direction. And as I consider this, and and my hope and dreams for diversity within our church, the only one I really have to blame is myself, who helped lead the vision of this church and guided this church. But the point of today's passage is not to lobby blame, but to ask the question, how can we change? How can we change to make Jacob's well reflect the diversity of the kingdom of God, or more specifically, at the very least, how can we make Jacob's well change to reflect the diversity of Green Bay? Paul addresses this issue head on by telling us the plan of diversity, challenging us towards the pursuit of diversity, and finally, motivating us with the purpose of diversity. So first, the plan of diversity if you remember from last week, Paul was addressing friction that was resulting because those in the church had come from different ethnic backgrounds. Some of those people in the church were Jewish, others came from non-Jewish cultures. And it, because of that, some of the customs were creating conflict in the church. Certain Jewish Christians were still unnecessarily restricting themselves and others to Jewish dietary laws of being complete vegetarians. In addition, many of these Jewish Christians unnecessarily felt bound to observe some of the holy days of the Old Testament and from Jewish tradition. Both of these issues were causing division in the church as they were making these secondary issues primary issues. And so Paul starts this part of this passage, reminding them of their Christian duty to one another, specifically to those of different convictions due to different ethnic backgrounds. Verse 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How has Christ welcomed you? For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, meaning the Jewish. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And so Paul's logic goes like this. Welcome the Gentiles. Welcome the ethnos. Welcome the nations that are among you because Christ has welcomed you. And how has Christ welcomed you? Christ says, welcomed you by becoming your servant. How has Christ become your servants? Well, Paul elaborates in Philippians 2. He says, Christ has become our servant because he left the glory of heaven to come to earth. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross for our salvation. He came to serve us, to welcome us, and we must go and do likewise. Now through that servanthood of Christ, we read in verse 8 that Jesus showed God's truthfulness and confirmed God's promises to the patriarchs. Now how did Christ do that? Well Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Savior of God, and the coming salvation of God, and Jesus came and accomplished that sent from God, 2 Corinthians 1 says it this way, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Paul continues in verse 9 by saying, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, one of the major promises that God gave to the patriarchs of the Old Testament was a promise given to Abraham. He says to Abraham, I will give you a great nation. You will have many children, and I will bless them in order that they might be a blessing to the world. Now, the people of God were a blessing in many ways, but the most specific way they could be a blessing to the world is to share the good news of the gospel of salvation. That was the greatest blessing they could give, because God had blessed them with a tremendous salvation. They could now bless the world with the good news of that salvation. Paul continues, to prove this by quoting the Old Testament saints, verse nine, midway through, Paul says, as it is written, uh, he's pointing back to 2nd Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2nd Samuel. That's Old Testament. 2 Samuel 22, 50. For 47 verses, David is praising God for his salvation from his enemies that God has given to him. So for 47 verses, David is praising God, and then he says this. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. Again, in the Old Testament, it says among the nations. And sing to your name. Verse 10. And again, it said, this time, not by David, but by Moses, after he sings songs of praise before his death. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Again, in the Old Testament it says, amongst the nations. And let all the peoples extol or exalt him. And again, Isaiah says, after prophesying about the return of of Israel to the promised land and God raising up a savior for his people... Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he, he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Paul is showing from all of these Old Testament passages that the plan of the inclusion of the nations of the world was not a plan that was derived by David or by Moses It wasn't derived by Abraham or by the psalmist. It wasn't derived by by Paul or by Martin Luther King Jr., but it was the plan of God from the creation of the world to bring a diverse people of God, to, to bring a diverse group of people into the people of God. And so Paul is calling the Jews to acknowledge and to submit to God's plan of the redemption of the nations. One time in the midst of the Civil War, a clergyman said to President Lincoln that, quote, he hoped the Lord was on our side. And President Lincoln replied by saying, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Paul is saying something very similar to the Jews and to us. Do not be worried if God supports your life plan, but is your life plan supporting God's plan for the world to bring the blessing of the gospel to every ethnicity in Green Bay and beyond? Friends, the plan of diversity is God's plan, and therefore it must be a part of our plan. And so Paul starts with that, and then he moves on to challenge us towards the pursuit of diversity in verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. I love this passage because Paul is encouraging them. He says, listen, you all are mature in the faith. You're able to teach one another, learn from one another, encourage one another. You do good things. You're smart. You're intelligent. But you have this blind spot. You have a cultural blind spot. And it just so happens that your cultural blind spot is the very thing that God has called me to address throughout the world and in the church. And that very thing that Paul was called to by God was to proclaim the gospel to the nations and to welcome the nations into the people of God as full covenant members of God's people. As Paul moves on, he describes his ministry in very interesting terms. He says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's a normal saying, but then he says this. In the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the priests were those who were intermediaries between man and God. They would take the animals from the people and they would go and slaughter them for the sins of the people. And so they were an in-between between God and man. But now we know that we no longer need a middleman because our middle man is Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest. He is our only intermediary that we need between us and God. And so I'm not called a priest for that reason. I'm called a pastor because Jesus is our great high priest. But here, Paul says that he has a priestly service. He doesn't say he's a priest, although later in Peter it says we, we are a nation of priests. But he says he has a priestly service. Not to make atonement for a man before God, but to point to the one who does. Charles Hodge, commenting on this passage, says this. In this beautiful passage, we see the nature of the only priesthood which belongs to the Christian ministry. It is not their office to make atonement for sin or to offer a propitiatory sacrifice to God, but by the preaching of the gospel to bring men by the influence of the Holy Spirit to offer themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Martin Luther, the original one, 16th century, uh, there was one in case you didn't know, uh, he was a great reformer and theologian, coined the phrase, a priesthood of all believers. We are a priesthood of all believers, not in that we provide atonement for anyone, but that we point to the one who has, God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who has come to save the nations. It is our priestly duty. Before God and to man, to ladle out the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every ethnos of the world. This is our priestly service, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, Paul continues. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Sounds arrogant at first, but then he helps us understand. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ, not what Paul, but what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, the nations, to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. Uh, if you're with us through the book of Acts, you may know this, but, but as Paul went and proclaimed the gospel, there were many signs and wonders that accompanied that proclamation of the gospel. And the reason for that was because Paul was going into uncharted territory towards people who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And God sends miraculous signs to authenticate the good news of the gospel that Paul is preaching to the world. He continues, he says, by the power of the spirit of God, So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul wrote this letter in his third missionary journey while wintering in Corinth. I actually have a map up here, which I'm very excited about. Is the map up there, Vlad? Do we have a map? There's the map. I love maps because I get to use my laser pointer. So here is Illyricum, which Paul mentions, and here is Jerusalem. And Paul is riding from Corinth at this time. Uh, these are his different missionary journeys. The pink one is his first. The blue one is his second. The red one is his third. And he's wintering in Corinth. He's planning on sailing back. But because of, of hardship and persecution, he ends up taking this back path. And then uh, several years later, he finally does get to travel to Rome, although as a prisoner. Um, but what we see here is that Paul says that he has ministered all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Uh, the problem with this statement, at least at first reading, is that Paul had never ministered the gospel in Illyricum, uh, nor had he yet ever ministered the gospel in Jerusalem, although he would. But what Paul is saying is he's laying out the boundaries of the scope of where he had preached the gospel and planted churches, kind of like we sing from sea to shining sea, right? It doesn't include the sea. Do we even have seas? I don't know if we have seas. But you know, it's not the one- water. It's the land between. so Paul is laying out the boundaries of his ministry that God has called him to, to go and to minister the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles throughout the world. Paul continues in verse 20, and he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. Now Paul is not dissing anybody who would build on the gospel work of another person. After all, when Paul planted all those churches, someone had to come along and build on top of that foundation. But Paul is acknowledging that his calling in life from God is to go to uncharted territories, to go where the gospel has not been heard and has not been understood, and to proclaim it amongst all those peoples of the world. Paul continues in verse 22. He says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Because his primary ministry was go to the Gentiles, to the unreached people groups of the world, especially around the Mediterranean. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, now listen closely. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul is recognizing here in verse 24, which is maybe a verse that we would just quickly throw away, but he is recognizing that not every person is called to go to the unreached people groups of the world. He's recognizing that many of them are not called to go, but that all of us to one degree are called to either go or to send those who do. Paul says here, I hope that you can help me on my journey. Paul is doing a little bit of fundraising here. He's saying, listen, if I can go and proclaim the gospel, I need help getting there. I need finances for, 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 for transportation, for food, for housing, and I'm praying that you would help me on the journey in that way. You know, it is so easy for us to be focused on our small world of Green Bay and of Wisconsin. It is so often hard to focus on the nations of the world. This has been a common theme throughout church history. In the 1790s, William Carey wanted to take the gospel from England to India. And the response of the church was like this. They said, if God wants the heathen to be saved, he will do it without any help from us. Sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? God is sovereign. God is in charge. God can do all things. He doesn't need our help. And so swimming against this prevailing thought of the nations not being any of our concern, Carey delivered a message which has been called the sermon that has never died. And in this sermon, he only had two points. The first point was this. Expect great things from God. And the second point, attempt great things for God. Let me say that again. Point one, expect great things from God. The second, attempt great things for God. William Carey's message ended up igniting a worldwide flood of missions throughout the world known as the modern missionary movement, and he is known as the father of the modern missionary movement. Friends, many of you are probably not outright opposed to God's plan for the proclamation of the gospel amongst the peoples of the world, but are you indifferent towards it? What Paul reminds us in this passage it was testified throughout scripture is that some of us are called to go but the rest of us are called to send to send financially to send with prayer but to send that the gospel might go forth into the uttermost regions of the world the plan of diversity is God's plan laid throughout the Old Testament and the New. The pursuit of diversity is our calling as a priesthood of believers to proclaim the gospel to all the people of Green Bay from every ethnicity and throughout the world. And finally, Paul gives us a motivation with the purpose of diversity. You know, it is so easy to stay in our homogeneous circles To to live amongst people who, who do school like us, who live like us, who have interests like us, who have backgrounds like us. And so Paul reminds us of the purpose of why we should sacrifice our comforts as Paul had done so many times and as he's calling the Romans to do. Why we should sacrifice our comforts for the sake of breaking out the gospel amongst all the ethnicities of the world. There are many purposes for this, but there are two here that Paul highlights. And the first is this, for the delight of the nations. Look at Paul's quotations of the Old Testament and notice the response of the nations to this gospel proclamation. Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol or exalt him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. And may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What is it that will make the nations rejoice? What is it that will make the nations rejoice? Praise the Lord and exalt his name. What is it that will make the nations respond with joy and with peace, with abounding hope? It is not equal rights. It is not foods for their belly. It is not medicine for their sickness. All those things are good to give. But the only thing that can give eternal rejoicing, eternal praising, eternal joy, eternal peace, and eternal hope is an eternal salvation. From an eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of the gospel is that while we were foreigners, while we were aliens to God, separated, segregated because of our sin, Christ came into our world. He became one of us. He left the glory of heaven to take on our sin, to take on our shame, to serve us by going to the cross, to accomplish our salvation. But that's not all. He rose again and is alive, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he is reigning over us, and he's preparing a place for us to go for all eternity. Why should we pursue the ethnicities of the world, both in Green Bay and around the world? Well, it's for the delight of the nations, but also for the glory of God. Let's back up to verse 5. Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice do what? Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For the glory of God. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might, what's he say? Glorify God for his mercy. Verse 16, halfway through, it says, so that the offspring, the Gentiles, may be acceptable. Acceptable to who? Acceptable to God. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus that I have reason to be proud of my work. For who? For God. The end purpose of all things in our life, evangelism, world's mission, the end purpose of all these things is God. The glory of God. Not that we add glory to God, but we reveal the glory of God by going and seeking the nations with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you may ask, how does this reveal God's glory? Well, to begin with, everyone who comes to faith in Christ is turned to give God the glory, and so it reveals more of that glory. But also the fact that God can make People from every tribe and tongue and nation, with all of their peculiarities, with all of their differences, with all of their cultural sins and hang ups and blind spots. The fact that God could take all of those people from all of the world and bring them together in unity with one voice to praise Him is absolutely miraculous. And it reveals the beauty and the glory of God. You know, if you were to look at a map of the distribution of world religions, what you would notice is that most religions are confined to a particular ethnicity or geography or language. For example, Islam is mostly regulated to those who speak Aramaic in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Hindu is mostly regulated to India. Buddhism is mostly regulated to Mongolia and Thailand. But if you look at where Christianity is, it has spread throughout every major continent. And it is spoken by every major tongue throughout the world. And the reason for this is because we do not worship a God that belongs to one people, or belongs to one language, or that belongs to one ethnicity. Rather, we worship a God to whom all people belong. All ethnicities belong. All languages belong. Why pursue the ethnicities of the world for the joy of the nations and the glory of God? Let me end with this. As many of you probably remember this past January, uh, Aaron Layton, my friend, came and shared with us about his experience growing up as a black Christian in America. He wrote the book Dear White Christian with the subheading What Every White Christian Needs to Know About How Black Christians See, Think, and Experience Racism in America. It's an excellent little book. There's still copies in the library. You can buy one if you want. Um, Highly recommend it. But one of the encouragements that Aaron gave to us, both verbally and in the book, is to engage those in our community who are minorities. One of our congregants took that seriously. And so he went to his job, a very prestigious white-collar job, And he has a friend there who is black. And so he asked him, what was it like, what is it like to be black in Green Bay? And the answer not only surprised him, but grieved him deeply. And so he called and he left a voicemail on my my phone. And through tears, just brokenhearted about the way that his friend, his brother is treated differently. Being in Green Bay. Whether it be the fact that he's pulled over 10 times more often than my friend is. Or the fact that he has to keep his receipts everywhere he goes because he's accused of shoplifting. Or the fact that he has to be taught at a young age to put your hands at 10 and 2 when you're pulled over, roll roll down the window and just act differently. Or the fact that if he dresses in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, he's treated way differently than when he's in a suit and tie. You know, as one who is a member of the Caucasian majority culture in this area, I can say that I honestly thought that racism was a thing of the past that I thought didn't really exist anymore except for a few Neanderthals. But I was dead wrong. And the only reason I would have seen the world that way is because I'm a part of that majority culture. Friends, in the current climate of racial tension in America, which exists whether you believe it or not, the church has an amazing opportunity, a great opportunity to shine the light of the gospel for the glory of God by wholeheartedly pursuing the plan of God for the diversity of God's people. Now, there are a lot of barriers to that for us, like the fact that we live in a very segregated city. The different people groups live in different areas of our city, don't they? Matter of fact, Suamico is 98% Caucasian. 98%! The next... Every other minority is less than 1%. Green Bay is more diverse than that, which is where many of us live, but that's one of our barriers. Another barrier is that we're pushing against hundreds of years of voluntary and forced segregation. And the fact that our culture here at Jacobs Well Church may be most accommodating to people that are just like us. These are real barriers. And our hope and prayer is that God Through the power of his Holy Spirit, would break down those barriers that Jacob's well could reflect the diversity of Green Bay. For the plan of diversity is God's plan. The pursuit of diversity is God's desire. And the purpose of diversity is the rejoicing of the nations and the glory of God. Let me end with a quote, another quote from Martin Luther King Jr. You know, it's amazing how his how his Christian quotes don't make as much headlines as the rest. But here's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that I've used already several times this week, at least the end of it. This is what he said. The God whom we worship is not a weak and incompetent God. Amen? He is able to beat back gigantic ways of opposition and to bring low, prodigious mountains of evil The ringing testimony of the Christian faith is that God is able. Let's pray. Lord, this is our only hope, that you are able. You are able to save sinners like us. You're able to transform our hearts. You're able to open our eyes. You're able to send us out. You're able to embolden us to proclaim the excellencies of your glory, that the nations may come and worship with us together with one voice glorifying our God. Lord, pray that as we move out from this place that we would not let this fall on deaf ears, God, but that we would put into practice loving the nations that you have put among us and the nations of the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.